Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. Listen, find your sermon outline there in your bulletin, and let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You'll find that on page 1785 in your book rack Bible there. We love scripture, we love studying God's word, and so... If you haven't found your way there, do it. Uh, and don't be embarrassed if you can't find it. Help someone next to you if they don't know where to go and uh, find yourself there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we opened a little series last week. It's a five-part series calling Ministry Matters. It's a priority list for doing ministry in the local church. And we want to take just a few weeks, and it's, it's timely that we do this during Volunteer Appreciation Month because... We want to zero in on what it really means to do ministry and what matters in ministry. And we suggested that over the course of this series, we're going to see that, first of all, God's glory matters. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. We see that others matter. That's what we're going to see today. We see that what we do individually matters. We'll see that next week. We see that mutual support, really coming alongside of each other in whatever it is that we're doing, that matters. And finally, when it comes to using our spiritual gifts, love matters most. So that's the little grid that we're walking through in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And hopefully you're reading ahead, looking at some things and and getting familiar with this text. Uh, When we talk about Uh, service at Neighborhood Church, what we're talking about is that place of transformation where God transforms others through us. And that's a really important part of our process here at Neighborhood Church. We believe that God wants to transform others through our lives. And that all comes together as we look at what matters in ministry. So if you're there in chapter 12, we're going to key in in verse 7. And so just follow along as I read, and I won't read in its entirety, but we are also going to be walking through 1 Corinthians 14. So we're going to be looking at one verse in 12, and we're going to be looking at sort of some themes uh, in chapter 14. I won't read the entire chapter, we'll look at pieces of that when we get there. But here's where we're going to camp out today, verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now just stop right there. This is nestled in between, first of all, the picture of God's glory, all the gifts, everything comes from the Spirit, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He works all things out so that his people can grow, be built up in the body of Christ. He distributes gifts as he wills, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And why have we been given gifts? Verse 7 tells us, so that there is a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And the two little words, common good, are really important to us in terms of what we want to see today. What I'm wanting to share with you today is that what matters in doing ministry is others. And I know that this maybe just seems like, oh, I get that, I know that. But, but really, do we really understand that? We want to just dig into that a little bit today. You know, I've found out that in my life that uh, I, I'd like try to be other-centered, but, but if I'm not feeling real well, if I've got something wrong in my body, I tend to not think about others too much. I, I, I was thinking as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about a, a day when I went out uh, fishing with some good buddies. We went out uh, to the Fairlawns on one of those party boats, and uh, just a few guys, and there was a guy on that trip that just 
had all these questions and I started sharing with him and we were fishing right there, you know, as we got out there, got the poles out and we start fishing and we were having this amazing conversation about the Lord. It was amazing and suddenly I got so seasick, it was incredible and I, I always get seasick when I go out. I call it miserable fun whenever I go deep sea fishing, you know. Because I love fishing, but I get sick. And I was just miserably nauseous. And this guy's just asking questions. And I'm trying to stay engaged with him. And everything in my body was just saying, just go down and lay down and forget this conversation. I couldn't concentrate. And, and I thought about different times how often in the body of Christ, when the body of Christ isn't healthy, it tends to go inward. It tends to think about its own self rather than us really thinking about each other. So one of the monikers of a healthy church is that the church is really focused outwardly. It's focused toward others. It's interested in reaching out beyond its doors, beyond its own community, in its community certainly, and then beyond that community and out into the world. But churches that are not healthy tend to be ingrown. It's all about us. It's all about are we happy and do we have the things we want and so forth. So here in chapter 12 verse 7, I'm going to suggest to you that the reason why the Apostle Paul wrote this phrase, this word of encouragement to the Corinthians was because there was some ill health. There was some, uh, there was some uh, compromise in the health of the church at Corinth that required this kind of instruction, that required the reminder that we need to be thinking about whatever God has gifted us with for the common good, for everybody's good, not just our individual selves. And so I'm going to suggest to you this morning there are three conditions that erode the promoting of the use of our spiritual gifts for the common good. Three uh, spiritual conditions, and I'm going to put sort of a, you'll see what I'm, where I'm going with this, sort of an illness motif this morning so that we can see where we're going. And the first movement of this sermon, there's three movements, the first movement is going to be kind of preachy, and the second two movements will be more teachy, okay? So you just kind of hang on to the, what I mean by that. I'm going to get a little fired up in this first section, and then we're going, to, we're going to do some teaching in sections two and three. So if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to see in terms of a body that is not healthy, the church body that is not healthy. We talk about the cancer of consumerism. Okay, write that down. The cancer of consumerism erodes using our gifts for the common good. Now, if you, if you want to just write a little note next to the word consumerism there, I would write down individualism. Because I'm not talking about the need for more stuff in our lives when I talk about consumerism. Although that's a problem too. That's a problem in the modern church. It's a problem in the Western church. It's a problem in the church today. We're all well wealthy and we're spending stuff that we don't need to spend on ourselves and, and not for the good of the kingdom. That's another subject. What I'm meaning by the cancer of consumerism is I'm talking about this idea of this rugged individualism that ministry becomes this love affair of myself. And the doing ministry uh, is all about making sure that my needs are met. I meet professing Christ followers all the time who are like what I consider nomads. They wander the Christian landscape feeding in places that appear to meet their needs. And when those resources dry up or it becomes a little stale, they want to move on. Um, one of the reasons why churches grow large is because uh, they, they offer many different kinds of ministry. And, and there's 
a lot of health that begins to create that kind of uh, excitement and, and migration. And, and it isn't long before large churches with all their offerings of ministries become places where the cancer of consumerism is born and begins to work its way through the body because with all the many offerings people come to those churches with this kind of question what kind of ministries do they offer me what kind of things can they do for me And this becomes a little problematic because these same folks that come with the question of what can this ministry do for me eventually leave the church because they don't think that the church is doing enough for them as as they perhaps did uh, before. A couple of cartoons. Here's a cartoon. Look at this cartoon. On one side, people coming into the church and it says, we are arriving because we don't like the way things were elsewhere. And this is what happens in large church ministries. And then then there are people leaving the church who are saying, we are leaving because we don't like the way things are done. That's supposed to be humorous. You can laugh if you want to do that. But it's, it's, it's a humor with sort of an ironic twist because that's really the way it works in a lot of larger churches. The door is open and people come in. They say, wow, look at all these ministry opportunities. But... And, and they leave a place where they're a little dissatisfied and then it's not long before they feel, because it's all focused on me. It's all focused on what, what the church is going to do for me. I saw this cartoon and I, I just thought it was, it was clever. Here's a pastor and he's speaking to the congregation. They're all holding signs up to them, to him. And some, you can't read the signs maybe, let me just say what they say. Make sure there are enough programs for us. That's one sign. Uh, tell me again how much God wants to bless me. That's another sign. Uh, Please refer to sin as bad choices. That's another sign. Uh, Don't mention hell. It makes me feel uncomfortable. That's another sign. Tickle my ears. That's another sign. I'll leave if you don't do do things my way sign. Uh, I like this sign, very common. What can Jesus do for me? Uh, That's a picture of what oftentimes happens in the church. We just kind of hold our signs up. Our conversations are around the things of why aren't my needs being met? Now, I'm not, please hear my heart on this. The church is about meeting each other's needs, and this should be a beautiful place. And it is, thank you, Jesus. Neighborhood church is a great place where people's needs are met, and there's wonderful programs and things take place. But there can be, in a church like Neighborhood Church, the cancer of consumerism where we just kind of think about all the stuff we want. All of us have, I mean, here statistically, we've got about a nine-minute attention span. And some of us right now already this morning, we're thinking, we're smelling the pizza. Man, I can't wait just to get to the pizza, you know. We're just excited about what we came, but we're thinking about our needs. We're thinking about the stuff that we want to experience. I want, I want, I want. That's sort of the mantra of individuals that happen uh, across the board in churches across the board. So the antidote for all of this the cancer of consumerism, the antidote is, is where the body puts others before themselves. Healing consumerism in the body requires putting others before ourselves. Now some familiar texts, and I know we've read these and studied these and looked at these, but let's just let them fall upon our hearts again. This is 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use, let's read it out loud. Ready? Let's do this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
Now, we, we usually get the kind of use whatever gift you've received, but we forget that little phrase, to serve others. To serve others. It's about others. God gifted you not for your own good necessarily. He's gifted you for the good of others. He's gifted you so that you will be a blessing to those that are around you. And I love that. And that's a beautiful reminder to all of us. The Apostle Paul addresses this in his letter to the Philippians chapter 2. Let's read that out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. We know how the rest of the passage goes. As Paul uses the example of Christ for what really ought to model how we respond in our relationships. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not regard equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That's our Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad? And boy, that's just a great reminder. I need this reminder all the time. The, the, the ministry of neighborhood church is not about me. It's not about my needs. It's about others. And we follow the Lord Jesus who became the ultimate servant for us. Now we know from the book of Corinthians that this had to have been a problem. This other-centeredness was somehow off the radar to the Corinthians. Because even back in chapter 1, you read there that Paul points out that there were divisions among this church and that they were to all agree with one another and to be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's 1 Corinthians 1.10. So why would Paul have ushered that little thought into that church except for the fact, or in, unless that the fact was true, that this church was a little bit inward. They were saying things like, my leader is better than your leader. Uh, we are of Paul. We are of Apollos. Uh, we'd have a better church if this person was our leader. And this church would be no question better if we had these people doing these things, credentials and all the rest of it came into it. A consumer environment lends to all kinds of divisive measures. A consumer environment says, I'm here for what I can get and I'm going to posture and put everything together in my mind the way it ought to be so that my needs can be met. And that's just not the way the body of Christ works. And I'm thankful at Neighborhood Church that we have a church that over the years has modeled and struggles to continue to model a desire to be other-centered, to think about others first. And it's a great thing even through this month of February as we think about volunteers, to think about how we model this in our own lives. Uh, in chapter 10, verse 24, just go back a couple of pages and you'll see it there in verse 24, chapter 10. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. That's interesting, isn't it? No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, this is a statement uh, in the context that Paul is teaching on the use of our freedoms. Here in chapter 12, the context is the use of our spiritual gifts, but both of them come down to the same, uh, the same result, and that is that we should be thinking about others. Now, here's some practical things. They're not in your notes. We're not putting them on the screen. But just if you want to suppress consumerism in terms of your involvement in the church, can I give you a couple of ideas? Number one, when you find a church that promotes the glory of God through its ministry, look for the role you can play, and don't stop looking until you find it. You know, some of us come into a church and we, we see a great ministry 
and we know that God's glory is being promoted, and we see people at work, but we're, you know, maybe we've tried one thing, it doesn't work out, and now we just, we're comfortable with just sitting, we're comfortable in just sort of receiving, and I'm just telling you that you're, you're brooding with the cancer of consumerism, if that's where you are. Uh, now, once you find your place, your role, the role you play in bringing glory to God through your spiritual gift, once you find that place, humbly stay there until God himself moves you into another place of effective serving of others. Just stay there. Just, I'm so grateful for people that I meet around our campus, and I say, hey, how long have you been doing this? And they go, oh, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years, 22 years. You're kidding me. We've got people that teach in our Sunday school unit with children who have taught for years. And I can think in my mind's eye of people that have actually gone on to be with the Lord. People that just gave decades and decades of service because they found their niche and they just faithfully stayed there. Over the course of those decades, did everything go right for them? Did everything go the way they wanted the church to go? Absolutely not. There's no way. There were disappointments along the way. I'm sure they would say, man, I wish the pastor would do this or that. I wish we could have this or that. And there was all kinds of things that people would have raised in their minds. But they stayed because they were faithful to God's calling in their heart. Because they were thinking about others. Thirdly, if you discover an area of ministry that's lacking in the church, don't see it as a reason to leave and look elsewhere. But see it as an opportunity for developing ministry for the good of others. I tease about this, but be warned if you ever come to me and say, I've observed that our church doesn't have such and such a ministry. I think somebody should do something about that. Great. When are you going to start? Now, we don't always say that. I tease that way, but that's not always said because sometimes people bring ideas that are not in alignment with our purpose and process. We're about life transformation through following Christ. And there are a lot of great ideas that people stir up that are not necessarily focused on true life transformation, not focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to bless people and say, that's great, that's a neat idea, but that's really not where our focus is going to be. So it's not always going to be said, hey, when are you going to start? But sometimes that's a great way to begin with people to see that if I've got an idea, maybe the idea needs to start germinating more in my own heart. So the cancer of consumerism or individualism that Paul addresses right here is answered with chapter 12, verse 7. The, the, the Spirit gives a manifestation for the common good. Now, there's not only the cancer of consumerism that I think Paul has in mind, but I think he also has in mind the sickness of sensationalism. All right, write that down. The sickness of sensationalism. Now, doing ministry for the common good confronts our love affair with the sensational. Now, in chapters 12 through 14, you've got a lot of sensationalism gifts. And some in the body of Christ, there's a hunger. There's a ravenous appetite for seeking the sensational Seeking what seems to appear to be, well, sensational. Some of the gifts had more of a sensational flair to them. Speaking in a language unknown to a speaker. That's, the gift of tongues is an amazing gift. The spiritual gift of tongues is not gibberish. It is a language unknown to the speaker, but is a real language. That's the gift of tongues. That's glossolalia of the New Testament. And wouldn't it be amazing, two weeks ago I was in China, and I said, Lord, could I have the gift of Mandarin right now? I would love 
to speak. I would love that. And wouldn't, wouldn't that be sensational if I got up before all those pastors and just started speaking their language? They would have gone, oh my goodness, that would have been crazy. The gift of tongues is a supernatural gift. It is a gift that you cannot, you know, you cannot explain away with any other means but by the Spirit of the living God. And, of course, there were miracles. Verse 11, uh, verse 10 of chapter 12, miracle powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking different kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. All these were gifts of the sensational. Some of them are called attesting gifts. And I'll get to that in just a minute, why we call them attesting gifts. But the idea of being able to perform some kind of miracle or or do something of this kind of nature, healing or so forth, uh, was sensational. And at Corinth, these were the gifts that were being prompted and promoted and elevated above everything else. And people were using, the ones that were using those gifts were sort of saying, we've got, we've got the most important gifts and everybody else kind of fades away into the woodwork. But what Paul is bringing out in verse 7 is that there's actually something more important than the sensational And what's more important than the sensational is what builds up the body of Christ. Now, if you're looking for an antidote there, write this down. Healing sensationalism in the body requires placing greater value on certain gifts. Well, what the Corinthians were doing were putting greater value on the sensational gifts. But actually what Paul is saying is that the greater value falls on on gifts that edify. Look at chapter 12, verse 31. He says... That he ends this whole section by saying, eagerly desire the greater gifts. That's a valuation. Greater gifts. And he goes on to describe what those greater gifts comprise. Uh, and actually there's a little parenthesis where he talks about love and how love manages and, cha- and, and shapes and channels all the gifts, which we will get to in a couple of weeks. But my point real quickly is I just want to walk you through this. Look at chapter 14, verse 4. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather, here's the greater, have you prophesy. And the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. And then if you go on from there, you see that, uh, you see that further down in the text as well, chapter 14, verse 12. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in that which builds up the church. Verse 12, and then verse 26, chapter 14. Everything must be done so that the church may be what? See in verse 26, what does it say? So the church may be built up. Is that what your Bible says? Okay, good. I feel like I'm talking to myself. Okay, and then verse 31 of chapter 14. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and what? Encouraged. So Paul, Paul's focus all through chapters 12 through 14, is not on the sensational. And there were sensational gifts. No question about it. First century church had this amazing outpouring of truly miraculous giftings. And the focus became, like it is with all human nature, the focus becomes so much on the sensational that we forget uh, the, the greater gift. The greater gift is what builds up the body of Christ because it is for the common good. You see, all the sensational gifts ministered to an individual, someone who is being healed 
or someone who spoke in tongues, they heard the language of, of, uh, in their, they heard the gospel in their native tongue. Amazing. But in the common good, people were sharing their gifts and pe- everybody was being blessed. Now, one of the reasons, and, and some people argue that the sensational gifts are no longer distributed by the Spirit of God, and we're going to get into this a little later in our series. And personally, uh, when I study the reason for the sensational gifts, uh, there, there, there is an attestation, there is a, a proving of the Word of God by the use of the miraculous. And so whenever you read this all through the book of Acts, whenever there was uh, a gospel being brought to a people that had not heard the gospel, there was often miraculous gifts. You see this at different epochs in Scripture. We, we often think of everywhere in the Bible are miracles. No, there's seasons where miracles seem to flourish. And whenever those miracles flourished, it was during a time where God was bringing revelation to his people. And so I think there is a strong argument that the purpose for the sensational has really gone away in terms of, at least in our Western culture, where the Bible is given, we have scripture, we have the word of God, and we don't believe that God is adding new revelation. We don't believe that there's a reason for proving the truth of God's word because we have God's word and we believe that it is God's word and so we don't need this attesting miracle. And I know a lot of us, we would be just like the Corinthian church. We would say, well, show me a sign and then I'll believe. And remember, Jesus said, blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. We live by faith, not by sight. This is the age where we trust the spirit of the living God in the word of God. And some of us, and there are people in our culture who are very driven toward the sensational. And as a result of that, oftentimes, I won't say it as a blanket statement, but oftentimes the focus in churches that focus on the sensational is not a lot of edification. And I think that this is a, a problem in many churches. Um, when the church gathers together in worship, it is to gather together for edification as well. And so we build up one another in the body of Christ. The cancer of consumerism, the sickness of sensationalism. Here's another malady that I see in the church today and the church at Corinth was obviously dealing with and that is the disorder, the disease of disorder, okay? Now, you could write disorderliness there. Uh, That's really the the word I'm trying to get to. In this final movement of the series, I want to key in on this broad range of activity that all fall under the category of disorder. And this whole section in chapter 14 now, as we're going to kind of walk through a few things, beginning in verse 22 all the way down uh, to verse 40, Paul is going to unpack what he sees as disorder in the church, where there's chaos and confusion, self-indulgent pursuits. And this was the, the... This was the focus of the Corinthian problem. Everybody was so into their own stuff that they were kind of steamrolling over others. And I'm going to put these into three categories and then I'm going to try to show show you the historical problem and then we'll kind of project it into a timeless truth. Uh, The first one comes to us in verses 22 through 25. And here we're going to learn about an overemphasis on something that neither edifies nor impacts unbelievers for the gospel. He talks about tongues here in verse 22. He says, tongues then are, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. 
So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? <laughs> now, I, I, look at, I almost see a little humor in Paul here. And it's sarcasm, but it's, it's, it's humor. He's saying, don't you realize that the way you carry on sometimes, there would be unbelievers come in among you and scratch their heads and go, these people are crazy. And Paul says the reason for that is that there's no, there's no substance behind what was going on. There were people using the gift, perhaps, of tongues, but there was no engagement with the unbeliever. There, there was the manifestation, but there was no engagement. And so Paul is saying, and this is, this is really important stuff for the church, he's saying if something happens in the body that does not edify God's people and does not impact unbelievers, that's basically disorderliness in the church. Because people come in and say, that doesn't make sense. Why would they do that? You know, churches today, that get pretty wrapped up in doing things that they love because it's been their history to do, because they think they're, it's so great, but they don't build up the body and they don't reach lost people, those things need to be kindly escorted out of the church. And yet there are many churches that just, we are going to stay on the same stuff that we've always done because we like it so much. These become sacred cows in the church. This is hard stuff. For all of us in the church, we, we've got things that we like, things that we want to do, things that we have familiarity with, but they become sacred cows. I grew up in a little church across the bay. It was a Baptist church, and I remember at some point, I was a kid at the time, at some point the church decided to do a weekly outreach potluck dinner. And, and it was pretty cool. I remember people brought lots of food, and we came, and we would invite neighbors, and it was sort of like then there was a service, and the service had testimonies, and, and it was kind of a neat thing. But over time, the luster wore off. People didn't come with as much excitement or enthusiasm. The, the food offerings that were brought were a uh -uh, little bit scary. You know, it, it went from potluck to what's that, you know, kind of thing. And I remember, I still remember conversations in our family with my parents going, well, gee, you know, should we go? It, it, they, were, they were wrestling because it just felt like that there was a, a certain group of people that wanted to hang on to it because this was something that we did. We did the potluck dinner on Wednesday night with an outreach service, but there were not unbelievers coming, and the people that were coming were not being edified. And the churches hang on to it, hung on to it, hung on to it. And it became kind of a divisive thing. Should we get rid of it? Should we keep it? We love the potluck dinner. We don't think it works. We think it's great. And there's all this conflict in the church. Just crazy. Little Baptist church across the bay. But there are things that have happened even here at Neighborhood Church. I'm going to walk you through some of those things. Do you remember when we did illustrated sermons? Now, some of you don't remember those, but that was something that was really big in the 40s, 30s, 40s, and 50s of our church, and it, it still had some traction in the 60s in a great way, and then got to the 70s and started losing some traction. It was the big outreach, Sunday night illustrated sermons. And when I became senior pastor, those sermons were just not, you know, we weren't, we were doing illustrated sermons, but, you know, you could fire a shot in here and, and you couldn't hit anybody. I mean, there, was, there were people just not connecting with it in our culture, and we were trying to make it work, and we were doing everything we can. And finally, it came to the point where we said, we need to, we need to stop doing il illustrated sermons. 
And eventually we said, we're going to stop doing a Sunday night service. The, the traction was not there for what it used to be. And there were some people, I can still remember people saying, you can't do that. We've always had illustrated sermons. If it's not edifying the church and if it's not reaching unbelievers, why do we have it? Why are we doing it? There are things, I remember we did the kickoff rally. I was a youth pastor for years and years. We did this thing with thousands of high school kids out on the bricks. It was amazing. It was phenomenal. We had a beautiful time. But you know what? That thing ran its course. Lots of changes. I don't want to go into all the things that happened. But man, we had gangs coming up here. and Weird stuff going on. And, and it, was, it was no longer edifying. It was no longer reaching lost people. So we said, we're going we're gonna to cut it. And we moved on. We did different things. And I remember people saying, we can't lose the kickoff rally. We've always done the kickoff rally. Just think about things in our own lives. And there's things that we hold on to. We've always done them. And I know this is hard stuff. I've prayed. I said, Lord, because I'm not going to launch something. Well, let me just talk about this program that we're doing now. I'm just saying right now, there are probably things that we do as a church that are not edifying the body or are not reaching people for Christ. And those things need to get snipped. <laughs> you go, ho, 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 what are those things? <laughs> well, it's certainly not Volunteer Appreciation Sunday. No, I don't know. <laughs> you know, the thing is, we're, we're, someday, maybe that's not going to do its job. Well, whatever. We, tools change. Methods change. The message stays the same. It's all about life transformation. It's all about people meeting Jesus. And whenever the church loses that, like the church at Corinth had lost, and they got so into their thing, it became disorderly. Here's another thing. If you're taking notes, a careless or haphazard ministry that minimizes the proclamation of God's word is disorderly. Now, verses 26 through 33 um, Everyone comes together, everyone has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue. Uh, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or the most three should speak, and then one, someone should interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should be quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak. Listen, I've been to churches that believe in the gift, the spiritual gift of tongues, and I've got suspicion about it, frankly, because the spiritual gift of tongues is a language, it is not gibberish. And I've, I've been to charismatic churches that there's, if there is the gift of tongues, it's not what I'm seeing because no one is even following the orderly worship that Paul talked about at Corinth. There's no interpretation, just people just going off. And that's, and I know I'm maybe stepping on some toes, I don't mean to, I'm just saying to you, here at Neighborhood Church, I want to walk the line, watch this, of not minimizing the proclamation of God's word for the sake of someone's individual experience. And that's why when you come, you get a healthy dose of scripture, you get doctrine, you get theology, you get, I hope you get a message from God's word to your heart so that you go out of here with a way of living, living your life transformed in the life that Christ has given you. And, and anything short of that, anything that dinks with that or messes with that is disorderly. It's disorderly. Take a moment and just think about that in your own life today. Going on from verse 33. And by the way, verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder but of peace. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. So 
when God's really doing a work, there's not disorder. There's a focus on the Word of God, and there's an exhortation uh, to be conformed to the Word of God. And then, thirdly, inattention to needless distraction stemming from a lack of submission to spiritual authority is also disorderly. That's a mouthful. Uh, but 33 through 44 deal, deals with a delicate issue of women in the church. And I, <laughs> well, we're out of time. Let's, <laughs> I'm teasing. You know, let's not be afraid of God's word. Here, people read this and they go, wow, what's going on here? Women should remain silent in the churches that are not allowed to speak. They should be in silent. Here's what's going on at Corinth. There were, there were godly women who were, who were interrupting the flow of a service and maybe even the teaching of God's word because they had questions. And Paul said, in terms of the, the natural order of things, that these women should ask their questions, not interrupting the church, they should ask their questions to their husbands at home. And therefore, speaking this way in the church was not, was not appropriate. And we know that this is specifically a Corinthian problem because in the book of Romans, Paul honors, for example, Phoebe and the church that is in her house. So we know that women have, and when women prophesy or when women were to pray, they would cover their heads as a sign of authority. And so we know that women could speak in the church. We know that there were spiritual ministries of women in the church. So don't get, don't get off on this. But the point Paul's making here is that undue distraction, needless distraction, stemming from a lack of submission to spiritual authority. Distraction. We talk about this a lot in our church. Let's be mindful of distraction. If Paul was writing our church, he might say, be careful not to walk around during the sermon. Or, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to. <laughs> but Seriously. Or if you've got little babies that love to cry, be mindful. That might interrupt. I, maybe that's what he would have wrote. Because some of us are just not concerned about the focus of God's word. And so we're just, we're, we're ADD distracted people. And it doesn't take much of us, much for us, any little movement in a congregation. I'm, I wish you could see what I see. Because when someone stands up over here and moves this way, everybody over here looks this way. And I'm kind of, you know, hey, hey, whoa, 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 you know. Someone walks across the balcony, everyone up there in the balcony. You know, I'm just saying it's, it's really easy to distract. And, and the, the disorder of disorder creates a lot of problems in the, in the church today. Wow, these are heavy topics, aren't they? But you know what? God's word is so good. And the whole point of this is, watch this, so that we do for others more than we do for ourselves. We look to others for the common good. All right? So what matters in ministry? God's glory matters. Others matter. And if others matter, then you're going to deal with the cancer of consumerism, the sickness of sensationalism, and the disease of disorder. And that's a church that I want to be a part of because it's a church that is sensitive to what the Spirit of God is doing now to reach people and send them out on mission. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, Lord. It's not always easy, and it has, it has a lot to say to us always. And so, Lord, I just pray right now.
that God, you would be Lord over our hearts, over our responses. You would help us to hear, Lord, what your spirit now wants to say to us about this message. Where do we go from here? Some of us, Lord, need to begin prayerfully looking in earnest for where we can share our gifts for the benefit of others. And Lord, as a staff and as a ministry team, we celebrate all those who have found meaning and fulfillment in the distribution of the gifts as you have desired here in this body and how so many people are blessed and touched. We thank you and praise you. And now, Lord, for anyone who needs a relationship with you, this beautiful moment where we receive the symbols of your given body and shed blood, I pray that they will seal it right now for themselves and open their hearts and trust in you as their only Savior, as their only Lord, and to see themselves in the body, the body of Christ, through your given life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to make their way forward. We're going to receive our tithes and our... No, excuse me. Sorry. We're going to distribute. Boy, you talk about automatic pilot. Isn't that something? (laughs) We're going to distribute the elements of Jesus' given body and shed blood. And as they make their way forward, we're going to just begin distributing. And we just thank the Lord uh, for this expression of worship and remembrance. So, Lord, we thank you now. And may we take very serious, Lord, if there's areas that we need to repent of, if we're coming to faith in you, Lord, let this be a beautiful moment of celebration. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.